0: Thanks for downloading this episode from Teachers Talk Radio. You can find the full schedule and listen back to all our shows at ttradio.org. This show is brought to you in partnership with the Happy Confident Company, who provide clinically approved, ready-to-go well-being and mental health programs to help your pupils thrive in only 10 minutes a day. Visit www.happyconfident.com to find out more. Enjoy the podcast.
1: This program has been brought to you by the Happy Confident Company. Our clinically approved, ready-to-go well-being and mental health program will help your pupils thrive. In only 10 minutes a day, you'll be able to deliver social and emotional learning and well-being tools throughout your school. To find out more, visit us at www.happyconfident.com. Hello
0: everybody, uh, welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Uh, really excited tonight. We've got a uh, really nice show uh, coming up for you focused around well-being, uh, particularly pupil well-being, uh, but also everybody well-being, happiness, confidence, um, everything that I guess is included in that with the Happy Confident Company. Um, I've got Nadim Saad, who's the founder and CEO of the Happy Confident Company. and I've also got Emma Kate Stokes, who is joining us too. Uh, in a moment, I will let them introduce themselves, but before we do that, um, I thought it would be good to give a little introduction to some of the issues that we might be exploring tonight. Um, and when I say we, I'm going to be joined by my wonderful co-host, Poppy Gibson, uh, who's going to be joining me too, uh, to co-host this discussion. Um, the, the real issue at hand is people well-being, and it's not is never far away from the news, really, um, particularly since the pandemic. And um, One of the most interesting reports that's been published on pupil well-being is the State of the Nation report, uh, which is published every year uh, by the government. And it was published again this year in February 2022, with particular reference to the well-being and happiness of the nation's children. And in this report, they outline what are the key areas that apply to children and the way they feel? They start with people wellbeing and under people wellbeing, they say that the trends presented in the report indicate that children and young people's subjective wellbeing measured annually appears to have dipped in 2020, but recovered to pre pandemic levels by 21 and remaining at similar levels by 22 during the 21, 22 academic year, whilst wellbeing on most measures remain consistent Anxiety amongst both primary and secondary age children appears to have increased and is higher than in 2020-2021. On mental and physical health, the percentage of children and young people reporting low happiness with their health appears to have increased in recent years, according to the Children's Society. And that's going from 2015 through to 2022 uh, that they've recorded this data. Uh, the rates of probable mental disorders and eating problems remain at elevated levels compared to before the COVID-19 pandemic. On the issue of education and skills, although most secondary age children and young people reported being motivated to learn and, and feeling safe in the classroom, the percentage of those reporting low happiness with school appears to also have increased uh, between 2015 and 2022. Um, and that applies to boys and to girls. In terms of relationships, the percentage of those reporting low happiness with their family and friends rem- remains at elevated levels compared to before the pandemic, while the annual data shows that rates of loneliness appear similar in 2020, 2021, and 2022. Um Considering children and young people's happiness with their relationships at school, around seven in 10 children and young people agreed or strongly agreed that adults at their school were interested in their well-being and that there was at least one adult at their school who they could talk to about the way they were feeling. So this report outlines a lot of concerns and issues. And it says, in summary, that overall, children and young people's happiness with their time, Uh, has dropped Uh, sorry that's that's in terms of the time they use and and what they do that's another area sorry is what they do and the time they use they then they're still not particularly happy in how they spend their spare time and then the final area was around self society and the future Uh, children and young people's average happiness with the things they own their appearance um, appears similar to previous years but their happiness with their choice in life and what may happen to them later in their lives appears to have increased between twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty two so there's a, a, and one of the big discussions here is is worries about things like finance um, and you know the sort of anxiety relating to what's going to happen in the future bullying at school and other things remains remains pretty high um so, yeah, it's it's sort of worrying data, and I thought it would be worth referencing that report, which you can find on the government website. It's called State of the Nation 2022. And I thought that was a really nice introduction to what we're going to be talking about tonight, which is how we can develop, improve uh, pupil wellbeing, and support pupils in school to, well, to be happier and more confident. So without further ado, I think it's a good time to introduce my co-host first, which is Dr Poppy Gibson. Poppy, how are you this evening?
1: Hello, Tom. Yes, I'm really well, thanks. How are you doing? Oh, not
0: too bad. You always sound so happy. Happy and confident.
1: <laughs> well, I know. Isn't that a coincidence? Uh, <laughs> I mean, lots of food for thought there with all those kind of stats you've thrown out. So, yeah, I think I think this is going to be a really great space to kind of learn more about what the Happy Confident Company are doing and yeah. how we're supporting wellbeing and... Um, I'm sure you've seen, Tom, there's this phrase going around. I'm sure our listeners might have heard it as well. Well Well-being washing. So kind of like where we've heard of, you know, green washing and pride washing. Um, I was reading about this term, well-being washing. And it's the idea that companies or whoever, I guess, could even be schools, are saying that they're supporting well-being. But actually, um, my dog's joining in. Actually, under the surface, you know, are they doing practical things that are supporting well-being so i, I think that's why i'm so excited about today because I, I know that um the happy Coffee company are so i'm hoping you know we can just learn a bit more from that and how to actually put into practice these these strategies to really make a difference
0: yeah um and i think we'll talk about sort of maybe toxic positivity and some of the other sort of issues around that later on as well um, so, yeah, really looking forward to, to the discussion. Um, I might introduce... Uh, well, we'll check. We've, we've got our guests here now. Uh, Nadine, do you want to unmute yourself and just say hi?
2: Hi, Tom. Hi, Ariane. Poppy. Great to speak to you. Thanks for inviting us. It's How are you pleasure. doing today? Are you okay? Very good. Very happy and confident. <laughs> so that's Yay! what I was going <laughs> to ask you. Hang <laughs> on. You've, ruined, <laughs>
0: the thing, you've already ruined this whole show, because that's all I was going <laughs> to ask you. I, I was sweat. actually...
2: But, but the story of my life is actually interesting because I've, I've been always told I'm happy and confident and I was. But it, it required quite a bit of therapy to actually realize that that was a, a big, great coping mechanism. You know, it's much better than being depressed all day. I'm sorry to say, I mean, I'm, I'm the lucky, basically, I'm the lucky guy in theory. But the reality is I washed off over, I mean, I like the, the idea of well-being washing. Well, you know, you can be a washing over your feelings a lot. And uh, being always happy and confident is actually some, there's something wrong somewhere because obviously it's not possible. And so that's one of the things we teach children is to really actually, it's how to get back to happiness and confidence, but also how to accept the lows because this is where you have so much information about what your needs are, about what you really, what's important to you in life and what your purpose is and lots of things. You learn so much from the, the, we don't call it negative, from the unpleasant or unhelpful thoughts or unpleasant feelings. So anyway, that's for my intro. Basically, I'm, I'm happy and confident, but I also now accept the more difficult feelings. And it's really important.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and we will be asking you, or, or myself or Poppy will be asking you um, during the course of the show to sort of share the personal story behind you, sort of setting up a happy, confident company, but also your own sort of personal inspirations for that and you know why you've done it and all the rest of it. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, we'll also introduce Emma. Emma, do you want to introduce yourself as well to people listening live and listening back?
3: Hi, Tom. Hi, Poppy, hello Nadine. No, we had a chat earlier. Um, I'm Emma Kate. You I am happy and confident, maybe not as happy and confident as some other people here today. Um I have been hanging around edu Twitter for a few years, so a couple of you might know me and um, i have been teaching for nine years nearly 10 and i was a primary school teacher and a phase leader unfortunately um, when i contracted covid it turned into long covid so i had to leave teaching and but luckily i am doing some great work with the happy confident company and i'm really pleased to be working with them because they're we are absolutely amazing and i can honestly say as a teacher i wish that i had had <laughs> all of the the tools that that the happy confident company offers in the classroom And um, so yes it's really nice to be here fantastic Welcome, um, welcome, oh,
1: welcome, i'm so excited as well yes. really to talk to you because i followed you on twitter for ages as well so so excited for tonight <laughs> me too i'm so happy <laughs>
0: Brilliant. I'll I'll balance it out with some cynicism as we go <laughs> through.
3: Yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> I expected that that's that's from
2: Tom.
0: <laughs> Don't worry, <laughs> listeners. I'll I'll balance it out. Um, right. Um, I was going to say. So, you know, we've talked a little bit there about some of the challenges uh, when it comes to people' well-being. So maybe just to set the scene, and I'll put this question to both uh, Emma and Nadine. Uh, perhaps first Nadine, but. Um, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has undoubtedly affected education globally. Um, can you sort of tell us a little bit in your view and also based on what you know about the impact of COVID-19 on schools and
2: students? Well, I, you know, um, I'm, I'm not going to, okay. yeah, Emma, why don't you go? Yes, no, Emma, go for it. Yes, please. go ahead.
3: I think from a personal perspective, having lived through it, it was, the most wild, wild time. I remember being told that we were all, like everyone else, watching the TV at 8pm on that Wednesday, being told that we were going to go to um, uh, virtual learning and there would be bubbles that we would be teaching in and only children for, with key workers. And then by the Monday, we would, we were doing it all. So we had that really quick shift to remote learning as teachers. And we had to learn whilst we were doing it, because for many of us, it was such an alien, alien thing to do. Um, what also happened when when that happened in terms of our children is straight away, a lot of the teachers, myself included, at that time I was working in, in a city London school. We were very, most worried about our children eating. Especially our children on free school meals, about our families being okay, making sure that everyone was cared for, what would happen to our family members who were working zero hour contracts. So, our first port of call before anything else was ensuring the care and well being of those children alongside that you then had to think about the online learning and for lots of children that I taught uh, they didn't have access to the internet or if they did they had older siblings and and they came first in terms of priority because there was only one uh, laptop in the house for example so straight away that created a massive disparity for children across the country and the world in or in how they had access to their education and their quality of learning and of course we were doing the best we could and so were families but that inevitably led to increases in mental health issues because our children and adults were socially um, isolated. That would increase stress. You you had parents that maybe lost their jobs. Everyone's cooped up together in small spaces. And when that happens, teachers really became not only the first port of call but most a lot of the time the only port of call for for those children and those families so they, it really became um teachers becoming a lifeline and i know nadine will i'm sure talk about the impact since covid but i think it's important to remember those initial days as well and what that looked like when we're thinking about what came afterwards
0: Mm. I mean, what you've just said, uh, Emma, really backs up this report and those people just listening, uh, just joining us might have missed that bit. But in this report, um, they do say that since the pandemic, um, things that have worsened are mental health problems, particularly for older young people, uh, feelings Mm -hmm. of anxiety and anxiousness. And the percentage reporting low happiness for a number of different areas of their life. So that's a quote from the report that I was talking about earlier. So what you've just said is really backed up there by the data. Um, so Nadim, I don't know whether you want to add anything there.
2: Yeah, just, just a said. quick one. I mean, you know, it's, it's the, the stats that are really worrying. Is obviously so there's so. Depends on the stat, obviously different stats say different things, but what's really clear at any empirical data is actually, so one stat I really believe in is that 70% increase in mental health challenges in the last five years. Yeah. And that's worrying. And I can see why, because the, the anxiety, the general anxiety is really, I mean, has different, I, mean, I'm not, I could spend an hour actually just talk about this, but one thing that was really interesting, I was yesterday at Epsom College with Sir Anthony Seldon and how the, there was a well-being conference it was a great speaker who who gave that really interesting overview of why um it's perfectionism particularly that is driving so much anxiety so we've got anxiety groups of covid there's a real challenge where actually because of lack of self-regulation in uh, at home you've you now have children that are being excluded from school as early as year one year two uh, because they just don't know how to manage their behavior so you no know, anymore, and so it's really challenging. You they you know re- teachers really need tools to help with self regulation um, across the board, and that's what we'll discuss later. But so one of the, one of the understanding that I didn't re- hadn't realized before is how much the, the it's this culture of uh, perfectionism that's now prevailing, and that's mainly due to the fact that everything's become a competition. Even cooking has become a competition of bake off. Even uh, love, love, love island. Basically, you, you have to compete for love. You have to, you compete for everything. So what the message we're sending children is, you either win or you're basically, or you fail. And, you know, being average is not really, is not really an option anymore. Social media obviously is increasing that. So my biggest worry, that's because apart from these stats, my biggest worry is when we look at our data and the, the, because we do a lot of uh, questionnaires in schools, is that, for example, your six seven, children are saying I'm worried more than seventy percent of the time. So, so when you ask them, so you know, you are you worried never or always, and you know, you put the, basically the status about seventy percent. So, it's not only the mental health challenges; it's the overall anxiety of the whole system because they're much more um, sensitive than average than you know than adults rather than average. They take on a lot of stuff. So war in Ukraine. So children as early as seven, eight are talking about the war in Ukraine, about the mental, you know, the the, the crisis, um, the living, the cost of living crisis. I mean, so many things that we would have never, in our generation, would have never been, you know, subjected. I would say to, and so that's the the, the biggest worry for me is that all the children. It's not just the ones who are having challenges. It's not one out of five because that's now the stat are actually having mental health challenges and are at risk is literally all of them have to be taken care of in a different way. So that's my overall uh, you know, concern and what, why we believe that mental health is not a nice to have anymore. It's really a must-have. And talking about puppies and the, the um, well-being washing, what, another stat that was shared yesterday is that 95%, when you interview um, adults and, and children, 95% of people say mental health is essential. But only 25% prioritize it. And that's the gap that we need to, you know, <laughs> we need to try and find a way to bridge that. Because Indeed, mental health should be part of everything. Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. I was, I was going to ask you, what, what what, does that mean in terms of, you know, prioritizing it? What, what does that mean in practice?
2: Well, yeah. So basically, let me do, go for another hour. <laughs> what did you know? No, in, the sh- in short, what this means is have a mental health strategy, a mental health and well-being strategy in action. And what we, the, the campaign we launched uh, last year, is a minimum of 10 minutes of mental health every day. It sounds like nothing, but actually, we've, we're now proving with our programs that just 10 minutes a day can have a significant impact. And therefore, in, you know, let's do, basically everyone should have a strategy to at least talk about mental health in a certain way and well-being 10 minutes a day. And when we say talk about it, it could be as simple as teaching about uh, social-emotional learning, have some form of social-emotional learning activity, and make sure that basically the feelings are get, really getting into the classroom. Although the, I know there's sometimes resistance to this, but it's actually for children to be able to improve their behavior, they've got to be able to share, to let go of what they're coming with at school. And so, and of course, if they need to be referred, then it's a different story. We'll talk about more detail. But in general, all children, and, and particularly, so there are a lot of internalizers That's particularly since COVID, a lot of non-vocals that are going through a tough time and, and no one's identified this and, and it's really important that we get give them the opportunity to be able to share and we'll explain did, some of the tools. Yeah,
0: Nadine, sorry, I've got one more. Why, why yeah. did you
2: get so passionate about
0: pupil wellbeing? What? What for you personally? What, what? sort of drove that?
2: Yeah, well, that's thanks. Great segue because actually, this is this had happened uh, to me personally is because so um, eleven years ago I went into parenting and became a parenting expert. Uh, and wrote several books about parenting Um, and I ended up five years six years ago now uh, my daughter who was the most positive child ever went through a tough time and so we really tried to get to understand why she was being so mean to her sisters pretty harsh with with us uh, her parents and we ended up coaching her because both of us were parenting coaches and she ended up telling us well I hate myself and that's pretty dramatic for any parent to hear. Just imagine two parenting coaches hearing, wow, okay, well, that's, okay, so what is it about? And actually, the main reason was she felt average, because her like, best friend was a gymnast, another best friend was a great ballerina, and so she felt that you know, she didn't really amount to much because she was average. And the second thing was she started behaving in a certain way, be, being uh, quite mean, and then she associated this behavior to being a bad person, which is quite typical for a child. And she was eight. But that day, I actually, when she, like, managed to express this, I thought, wow, okay, let me check with the school what's happening. And, well, the school actually thought that she was totally okay. She was still her bubbly self. I'm like, okay, so she doesn't have any, anywhere to actually express this. And I realized, wow, I would love children to be able to feel safety to express themselves. And have the tools be taught, at, at, ideally, both in families and mm-hmm. in schools, the tools to be able to share that before it becomes too late. Because otherwise, at 13, that is what leads to self-harm. Because this idea of I don't like myself, I hate myself, you obviously, over a few years of negative thoughts, well, that's what leads to self-harm and eating disorders. And the, the, just yesterday, actually, there was a great um, research that was published showing that eating disorders in children in girls' age 13 to 16 are 42% higher than they should be, than they were pre-pandemic. So since since, since March 2020. And um, and self-harm is 36% higher than it should be. So it's not they're not calling it an increase because what they looked is that as as they looked at GP records. And so that's yeah. they're wearing it. And therefore, I think that what we can do in schools is actually make sure that children and, and in families and teach parents as well how to really um so so we so actually in in a nutshell and we'll go into more detail but basically i what i created with therapists and teachers and also with children with my own children and other children where we created our tools uh, a toolbox to actually be able to face any life challenge to understand how to express feelings so through emotional literacy and emotional intelligence and how to develop all this so that it becomes a, a safe environment where everyone's sharing and everyone's helping each other out so no child would ever say i hate myself anymore or at least if they say it we've got the tools to actually help them pick themselves up and really you know feel better about themselves as we said at the beginning to feel happy and confident again
0: yeah that that was going to be my sort of last question before i hand over to to poppy because i know she's got some um but i was going to ask you sort of is, is that the mission Um, of the happy confident, you know if you were to define the mission of it is is it to in a sentence is it to sort of um, improve the happiness and confidence and well-being of of children is that is that the the sum of of it
2: well essentially it is to put therapists out of a job (laughs) (laughs) but obviously we know there will always be children challenges and 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 you know the therapists are essential but really, it's to decrease these basically, there are currently 500,000 children being referred to cams, and only less than you know a quarter a quarter are being taken on, and a lot of them are not taken on because suppose it's not serious enough, it's not if it's not suicide, it's not serious enough. I mean if it's, I mean suicide ideation is not even enough to be referred. I mean what, what, that's a crazy I'm sorry, but for me, this is a crazy world. We've got to change this. And so the, the mission is really to make sure that we address this so that there are, you know that we don't need to refer as many children they really have the tools they learn this to be happy and confident but no not all the time again that's the big thing for me is people think that it's where it's not you know positive um toxicity or what it's actually just pick yourself up be resilient and actually manage to self-regulate so that you know you can go through all of that challenges because life is full of challenges (laughs) Poppy, I I, I think you've got a few questions that you
1: to ask. Oh, I'm I'm adding more questions to my list as we go, Tom. (laughs) Uh, But thanks, Nadim. And maybe actually I I can kind of go straight back with my next question, really, because really interesting to hear how um, these tools you've designed are having an impact. But I know for all our listeners that are here live or listening back, the title of today's show is about transforming your school's well-being in just 10 minutes. So, I guess I'm just really curious is that really possible what are these tools like and maybe maybe Nadim first and then over to Emma could you perhaps share some practical examples of how even just 10 minutes I know you've touched on it there Nadim uh, with some of the kind of ideology of it but can you maybe give us some more practical examples of, of how this can really look in the classroom?
2: Sure, Emma, shall I continue? I'll, I'll let Emma speak just a second, because I'm conscious that oh, I'm going okay, to be speaking okay. all the time. To Emma to do... share <laughs> one of her favourites, and then we'll
1: ping back to you, Nadine. I'm happy to share. Sounds Emma, good. Too. Okay. <laughs>
3: um, well, the first thing I just wanted to highlight super quickly, which um, carries on from what Nadine was saying and so passionately talking about, is I recently, um, a few weeks ago, posted a thread on Twitter asking teachers... The different issues they've had since since COVID, and just in general with children and mental health issues or well being issues, and so many teachers in that thread. I think nearly every teacher mentioned anxiety one for another. I mean, we we also there were lots of things about readiness to learn, lack of sleep, being influenced by different social factors. But I think what's really interesting is that so many teachers from all sorts of schools, from public, from state, from secondary, from primary, from nursery, were all. Men Mentioning anxiety, and I think that just really highlights how important it is to tackle this in some capacity. Because, as Nadine said, PANS is overstretched, and children are on five-year-plus waiting lists if they even get onto the waiting list. And I I said this at the beginning that I really wish that when I was teaching that I I had this program, um, because it's amazing and the timetables that we've developed. Uh, have been developed with teachers, by teachers uh, to ensure that we, we know how busy a day in the class is. I know firsthand that there it feels like there is not a spare second in the day. And I know the media paints this image of us doing finger painting and just watching videos and all of those things, but we are learning all of the time. So it was really important to me when I started um, working with Nadine just to, to make sure that I knew that what I was saying was was true, and it definitely is. And one of the things uh, that we have in the timetable is we've plotted out the entire week for every year group from nursery up onwards, and um, we've talked about the different things that you can do, how long each section will take, and how it might look in the day, but bearing in mind and being mindful that assemblies are at different times, or one day someone might have pe at a, a particular time. So that might always, not always work. But what is important is having those little chunks of time within the day. So it's it's short learning and um, it's ensuring that uh there's a daily check-in for those children um, we need to make sure that these children are knowing that there is a safe place for them to talk about their feelings if they want to and of course that looks really different across different year groups we have our mapper what we call our feelings mapper which can help achieve that but different schools will do this in different ways there's journaling um, as you go up in the different year groups our journals and Nadine can talk about those in more detail because he was the co-author of them but they've been designed to ensure that children are able to um, express themselves uh, through the journals and there are different ones for different children and different uh, year groups there are uh, there's a daily feeling activity that's associated with that feeling of the week that that children are learning about and talking about and this goes right the way down into nursery and all the way up from there because it's important to start this as early as possible if we want our children to be able to articulate how they are feeling and have that emotional regulation. I'll hand over to Nadine now and then he can he can talk a little bit more about the journey. Thanks, Emma. <laughs>
2: thanks, Emma. Just to add on this, uh, thanks a lot, Emma. This exactly. It. So let's imagine a day. The simplest way is so you get morning, you a registration, you get a feeler check in. So we use, as um, Emma mentioned, a mapper. So children who are either so in un- feeling, unpleasant feelings that are high in energy or low in energy, basically in the, in the what we call the red high energy unpleasant feelings or in the blue, low energy and unpleasant, well, they actually, identi- they're identified immediately because they, they mention where they are and therefore either there's a quick intervention or usually because we teach them the skills, actually the strategies to go from these unpleasant feelings to more pleasant ones, just either other children help them out or they just actually, you know, by simply expressing it, they're already uh, in a much better place. So that's kind of the, the, the first key, feeling check-in. Then usually we go into a social emotional le- learning. Basically we've got, we teach a hundred feelings across um, basically nursery all the way to year nine. Um, and these feelings have feeling activities associated with them that are linked to the curriculum. So, that, that, so there'll be five minutes of that. Then um, after lunch, um, children, for, depending on the age group, as Emma said, they'll fill the journals for five minutes. And so it's structured journaling. So to really make it simple, it's uh, identify the different feelings of the day. It's three top things of the day because positive psychology has proven that by just focusing on three things that, feature, that we're grateful for, it increases happiness significantly. And we've, we've, we've got more than 3,000 reviews on Amazon and all the hundreds of schools that are using these journals that say that in just a week of using them, Children feel less anxious or more positive sleep better. So because we're actually, as human beings, we are, we have a negative bias. We tend to focus on the negative that's happening to us. And by just thinking about three things that are actually good in our day, that is enough to make a difference. It feels, it seems so easy, isn't it? But it is. And then there's a couple of questions of self-awareness because we want children children to learn self-awareness. And then they get a whole page of journaling that they might fill right there and then or later. And that allows them to, when they're younger, doodle and just, you know, it's like our therapy, just, just get their, their things on, on, on paper. But as they grow, we're seeing uh, children really self reflect. And that self reflection really helps them give, put a distance between themselves and the problem and, and to feel much better about it. And so, um, just an example so, about the, the, the effect of these 10 minutes. Is there was uh, a head teacher who reported uh, recently who told us, oh, we, we had a friendship incident that, you know, friendship incident that often lead to bullying and all of like much bigger problems. They went, um, three girls, eight year olds went to um, the head teacher's office. And the one who was basically the main concern um, said, oh, can I bring my journal? And so uh, the other two went, oh, could we bring our journal too? And then the three of them spoke from their feelings and from their journal. And everyone got to listen to each other, and actually this incident was sorted in such a beautiful way, very compassionate way, completely different to the typical, unfortunately, I'm not saying everywhere, but typical shame that comes from with friendship or, or, or bullying incident, um, And, and, and it's, it's a much uh, more uh, effective and, and much more, well, basically, and, and, it, and it works longer term rather than having to call the parents and etc. So... This is the kind of thing you can do in just 10 minutes a day. I hope it's clear. And don't hesitate, obviously, to ask more if, if, if it's not.
1: No, thank you, uh, Nadim and Emma. That's that's really given us and our listeners a, a taste, I think, of what your program does and how really just 10 minutes, I mean, even like Emma, what you were saying, just having that, that check-in with your pupils, having that feelings check-in, is so valuable, and adults as well. I must say, I always try and do that when I'm in the staff room and, and see uh, my colleagues. So, um, Nadine, that leads me quite nicely on to the next question because I had a little, a little bit of a nosy round the Happy Confident Company website. I must say, great website by the way, uh, very accessible, colourful, and you. Um, it's you know, it's really clear. Pupil wellbeing is at the heart of what your company are doing, and one thing that that really kind of popped out to me was your feel it. Uh, program. I saw the little feel-it card game, which looked really fun. So I wondered whether maybe you could tell us a bit more ab- about that and how that supports wellbeing.
0: And also he can tell us how he like bumped into me with it at the bat show and made me <laughs> do it. And I was
1: like Oh yeah, I need I to do like, that. I
0: need to do that. I was like, bloody hell Nadim, now really? And he had all these cards, he dropped them all on the floor, like fifty people, fifty people started trying to pick them all up for him. Oh. You know.
1: It was
2: great. It was I'm brilliant. just I'm just
1: jealous now that I missed you, Nadim. I would have loved to play the FIFA card game. Next year, please.
2: <laughs> yes. Well actually let's do it before it's funny because it is something that I've played in all the conferences I go. I bring this pack of Feel It cards, and we end up, as presenters in the conference at playing our, a game of Feel It. And so the game of Feel It is basically to act your feelings. So what we've done is really gamify, make it really fun uh, to, te- to learn about feelings, in, as in the family or, or, or at school. So, the, so every card has a definition of the feeling, has a color to identify, as I say, whether it's an unpleasant feeling or a pleasant feeling, or whether it's high energy or low energy in the body. So it really helps identify things quicker. And thanks to that, when when children mind the feelings and act out the feelings, and the other one have to guess, they're really learning at the same time. So this is one of the, but but at the same time, there's more than 300 activities around the whole field program, and that are adapted to uh, each year group. So basically, obviously the nurseries, and there's gonna be songs and rhymes and, 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 and fun things, you know, they're adapted nursery. As they grow older, year seven, year eight, nine, That's where they actually literally have to write uh, mini essays about someone who's felt these feelings. Um, So, so we really get them to to make these feelings part of their literacy, part of their world. And what every um, school that um, has tried and well, tried has been using rather um, the program reports that in very little time, we're talking one or two weeks. Children are starting to help each other out when they're having difficult feelings because one of the key aspects of the feel program is what we call our feel team promise. And this feel team promise allows children to, one, accept that all feelings are okay, but to also agree as a team, together, basically, we're all doing better. So and as a team, how can we help each other out? So instead of excluding children who are angry or sad or, you know, in, 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 in an unpleasant place, children immediately go towards them and go, oh, how can I help you? Or they already know because they've agreed as a team, as a class, what they're going to do to help children who are having difficult feelings. And that's completely beautiful. The compassion of and empathy of the classroom completely changes. And the children who are going through difficult times, they can actually talk about it in a different way. So one example, for example, of a, of a 10-year-old child hit another child at, at uh, lunchtime. And so... The, the one who hit the other one basically went to the mental health lead office and said, uh, and the mental health lead um, used the feel it cards. So hopefully she didn't drop them on the floor. And so she, got, <laughs> she, she took the cards. And the boy obviously chose angry. But then he also chose embarrassed. And she said, oh, well, so what made you feel embarrassed? And he said, well, I actually tripped on this other boy's foot and said, other people started laughing and therefore I got angry and I hit him. So Obviously, the intervention is completely different. Instead of looking at exclusion, um, she taught him the strategy. They, they, they learned together the strategy of how he can deal with his embarrassment next time he, he, that this happens. And that Can I ask about
0: that in terms of um, what, why do you think the cards are more... Is, is it because the child does not need to say it? As in, I'm feeling this. It's sort of more accessible, I guess, for for them. Is that the sort of main benefit there?
2: Great question. The reason I developed these cards because it it, is because I realized I would go to therapy, and I would tell my my therapist would ask me, "How are you feeling?" And I'd say, "I think I am feeling," which is not exactly the right thing to do. Obviously, you don't want to think about your feelings, and I would justify why I thought I was feeling in a certain way. And I didn't really manage to access those feelings. It was very difficult for me to express them. And so what these cards do is actually you use a different part of your brain. By just looking at the feelings, you're actually not using the same part of of your... The thought process is different. Well, it's not a thought process. It's actually much more of a a perception, of of a proprioception. And therefore, you pick the feelings in a much different way than when you're thinking about your feelings. So that's a really important. And what we teach children is what we call interoception, which is actually, and, and they love you learning a word that most adults don't know about. So I'll explain what interoception is because when we ask most people, they don't know. It's, our, it's one of our eight senses because we don't only have um, five. And it is what we could call our sixth sense because it's, our, it's the ability to feel sensations in our body. So it can be hot or cold is part of interoception, feeling hot or cold in the body, but also feeling our feelings and what's amazing is when we teach children to feel their feelings and to identify them in their body and to then let them out what's amazing is actually latest research on neuroscience shows that they only last for 90 seconds in the body mm-hmm. so actually the reason why we could feel depressed etc is because every 90 seconds we're actually restarting the thought process that keeps us wow. in this negative unpleasant feelings wow. we can as human beings actually convert in every like completely get out of a negative feeling in 90 seconds because biologically the, what, what I used to, to what I had learned before is that cortisol stays for a long time in the body, etc when it's released. but actually if you deal with it in 90 seconds and you just change your thoughts or your feet and, mm-hmm. and your feelings in consequence, you can recover from it a lot faster. So when we learn when you teach interception and how to feel the, feel the feelings and therefore to name mm-hmm. them, there's also a neuroscience shows Name It to Tame It, um, by um, Dan Siegel, famous neuroscientist. He proved that by just naming a feeling, but more specifically than just happy, sad, or angry, which is the two, three typical, you know, th- that we use. When we name a, t- a, a, um, a feeling more specifically, then it reduces the intensity of the feeling in the brain, making it a lot more accessible, more controllable, and therefore enable us to go from the, in the use these 90 seconds to just go, okay, I've named it, I know I've, I'm I'm feeling this, but now actually yeah, I want to feel a different way, and that's Brilliant. and we can access that too. So that's the. Poppy, I want to ask
0: you before we move on to the next sort of oh, questions. Oh, okay. A um, question for me? <laughs> I want to ask you. A, I want to ask you a question. Um, you know, it's uh, like school and stuff. Obviously, you don't have to answer. That. You know, it's school mm-hmm. and stuff. Did you? Were you okay with talking about your feelings, or do you think something like this would have? Would you have needed that or? do you think it would have helped you? I, I think it, to be fair, I think it would have helped me, um, especially in primary school.
1: Yeah, yeah, 100%, uh, as a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And
0: Because I... the thing is with lads, and, and this is like, it has improved, it has improved, like granted, but, um, but I still think there's a there is a degree of reluctance to talk about negative feelings and emotions. There is still that reluctance to be vulnerable um, and talk about the way you really feel that the that still exists and actually something like this and I'm sure there's lots of other strategies too but something like this might train uh young boys into that model of yeah this is normal and this is okay and this is good and and, and these are all emotions and do you know what I mean I'll, I'll ask Emma that Emma do you think are you sort of hearing what I'm saying there
3: I having taught at some what some other people would describe as tough schools, I think they were wonderful schools and I can imagine myself anywhere else. But having taught at those tough schools my whole career, I I really think that, if we can encourage our young children and boys, especially in in some instances, to be able to normalize articulating their feelings and understanding, like Nadine said, there's no shame or embarrassment around having those feelings. I think you would see a reduction, to be quite honest, I think you see a reduction on CPOMs for a start. I think you would be spending less time typing up CPOMs because I think children would feel more validated and I think It's a word that's used quite often, but safety, I do think there's a lot to be said. And we talked about this today on our LinkedIn profile, actually, about psychological safety in the classroom and the huge impact that can have on learning. But beyond learning, on being able to live a life beyond the classroom without
1: um, an an increased self-regulation. Exactly. But just Emma, to pick up on that as well, because Tom, I do agree with you and Emma, I agree with you. But I think it's even bigger than that. I think looking at, for example, even the simple feel it game, the issue for many of us who are listening, you know, I don't know everyone's age is listening, but say if you're in your 20s, 30s or 40s, 50s, 60s, you probably didn't have these tools in the classroom. So even for some of us now as adults, I think we still struggle. I know with my with own people in my family, they don't have the toolkit and i think that's what you know happy confident company helping provide is the tools and the vocabulary and so even like can you imagine at the end of a staff meeting instead of just you know cracking on but get out the feel it cards you know and encourage us also to say yes we love teaching we love teaching (laughs) but you know what what the hard things like even at university level you know with all my teaching colleagues we love teaching but instead of just going home and you know, I know Nadim said, don't say negative thoughts, but you know, unpleasant thoughts, you know, feeling stressed about workload, etc. Actually to voice it. And I think that that is so healthy. And just remembering not everyone has the actual vocabulary and the actual words, or even they haven't even reflected that deeply about it. So I think To answer your question, Tom, I think it's even bigger than that. No, I didn't have it at school, but let's not live with regrets. You know, let's think how we can use this more widely now. And I think even with adults, even with my university students, you know, a lot of them didn't do GCSEs. They've come through the pandemic and and been disadvantaged. Like I could see how these tools could be so useful for everyone in
0: education. I'd be I'd be nervous at the end of my lessons though. Given it's kids, they'd be like picking relieved every time and holding it up in my <laughs> face. Relief, <of laughs>
2: like,
0: you know what I'm saying? I don't. I can't be dead. no <laughs> Relieved. happy. Start the lesson, I'm sad. End of the lesson, happy. It's like did I do that or is that walking out the
2: door? Um,
0: but to be fair, I wanted. To, I know we've got a lot of listeners, and I have to say thank you very much for for joining us. I know some people have been dipping in and out as well if you've got sort of something to say on this perhaps you are listening to this conversation and you're thinking you know what like um maybe you've got a reflection on the way in which you uh struggled to talk about the way you felt or you know what would have helped you would would something like this have perhaps helped you if you want to get involved in the conversation as always on TTR you can just hit the little button on the bottom left uh, there's a little microphone button if you want to get involved you can hit that um, and you can sort of call in and share your thoughts on anything that we're talking about maybe you've even used uh some of the resources like the happy confident company and, and also just to say if you are listening to this on twitter spaces right now at the top of the twitter space there is a link that we've pinned to the happy confident company if you want to check out their website or if you want to make contact with nadim or, or emma or anybody else at happy confident company then you can do that at the top by just clicking on the link Uh, if you're listening to this as a podcast uh through spotify or apple we will put those links in the description uh for this so if you're listening to this back then you can just scroll down wherever you're listening to it and find the relevant link to to sort of check out what they offer Um, and you know um there's so many strategies out there and and the biggest thing is i guess is sort of um evolving uh the way in which we approach people well-being and the question that I wanted to ask, and I'll ask Emma this first, and it almost leads on quite nicely from the last thing we were talking about, is behaviour management is a huge issue uh, in schools at the moment, a massive issue. Uh, Recent surveys suggest that behaviour has got worse or more more challenging, you know, during the pandemic, since the pandemic. Um, So how do you think a programme like, the happy confident companies program or or other programs like it um, or other strategies even uh, if I want to ask you in a wider sense how how could the happy confident company help teachers um, spend less time on on classroom management behavior management issues and also promote positive behavior among pupils I'll ask Emma first on that well
3: firstly I think it does lead on really nicely and I just I know I've talked about it a couple of times, but just to go back to the very beginning for anyone that's joined, we talked about the huge impact COVID had on children's mental health, on their emotional well-being, on on physically whether they were eating enough food, all of those things, and I think... When we all came back to school, and when all the lockdowns finished in life, we all said, "Okay, business as usual." But actually, that was a huge thing for little children and teenagers to go through, and all of us to go through, and to just pretend it didn't happen. I think, in some ways, has exacerbated a lot of those those issues. And then, if you can't, I think you can't separate all of those different things from behaviour because the two are intertwined. And actually. If we're developing those self-regulation skills, if if we're fostering emotional literacy that we've been talking about all evening, and and resilience, we're then we're increasing, uh, reducing, not increasing, definitely not. <laughs> we're reducing those stress levels for for the children that we that we teach, and in doing that, that's only going to reduce that disruptive behaviour. And then if if you have that disruptive behaviour, you also have more tools with you in your in your armory so to speak to be able to deal with that like Nadine was saying about the Felix cards or the Felix checker or the interventions that we provide all of those things are, like I said are going to mean that less time is spent on cpos we have um I don't know if we're allowed to say the name of the school or not do but we have a a testimonial that I was really pleased with that I wanted to share um where uh, the head teacher of the school has said that since she introduced our program a few months ago, behavior is markedly reduced across their school and they've seen such an improvement in it, which I think is wonderful. So imagine if we could introduce this across all of the schools. Imagine what the, what the behavior could look like then.
2: Yeah, and, and actually um, you mentioned earlier, um, Emma, that CPOMs are reduced. Or actually, that exact same school is now looking at um, the stats under CPOMs because they know Teachers are um, reporting that they're filling up less CPOMs and they're now checking the stats to give us the, the, the data because they're sure that it's been reduced quite significantly. So, and I would love to add um, to what Emma's saying. I mean, I don't know, I'm sure most of you have looked at the behavior in school guidance that um, the government issued in 2022. Honestly, I mean, that's that's what worries me about the future of education, <laughs> because if... At this stage, you know, with all the psychology, all this neuroscience, everything that actually is, is you know, all this research has really good, significantly improved in the last decade, that actually the government can recommend still all these kinds of um, basically carrot and, and you know, uh, the, the, the carrot and stick approach with exclusions, with suspensions, with removal from classrooms and detentions, all, a lot of things that actually have now proven to only worsen <laughs> The, by the way, sorry. Let me rephrase it. There are obviously situations where a lot of these things are necessary because you can't, um, you know, have in a classroom someone who's very disruptive. But there's so much more that has to be done to prevent the behavior. That's what we're talking about here. Is is prevention is better than cure? But but actually, it's not just preventive. Is prevention and cure are necessary, and prevention and cure are much better when there are the the basically the staff and, and, and particularly teachers have the tools to, be, to help children find the reason for their behavior. And that does not mean ask why, because why is actually something that uh, can often make a child even more anxious, because sometimes they don't know why they didn't really, you know, they didn't do what they were supposed to do, what they should be doing. But instead of it's what and how questions and, and using, again, tools like feel it, uh, are really helpful. But we didn't even talk um, yet about our Happy Confident Me TV program, which is with teachers, the 10 key life skills. It's a whole video program presented by Emma Willis. And it teaches 10 key life skills, all the way from self-awareness to self-acceptance, accepting passing from through mindfulness, compassion, uh, creativity, um, your growth mindset, uh, understanding, basically, positive thinking, uh, inter that we already mentioned, failure, so how to learn from mistakes, resilience, so it's important to develop all these life skills in children, and we do this, again, coming back to 10 minutes, it's just eight minutes of episodes, where um, not only does Emma Willis present wonderfully, but also a a lot of testimonials from children, help children understand that other children are also going through this tough time, they also have the negative thoughts, um, this inner bully that we all have, or the negative, um, the unpleasant <laughs> feelings, and but that we can all recover from them. That we either can help for, ask for help, or that we can also find our own strategies to reconnect with ourselves and to feel better. And I, so think, I think that's what's really important for behavior. Ultimately, this is what I think. It's such a bigger thing that it's not behavior management. Should be basically we should teach that children in order to feel they when they feel better they behave better. <laughs> So we should, that's why well-being has to be at the heart of education is because it's time yeah. for children to feel um, better and then do better and behave better.
0: I think one of the key things as well here is it's quite nice to hear that, that these activities are sort of, um, you know, uh, very manageable in terms of time. And and one of the things that I sort of discussed on a previous show actually about this activity is, I think it was with Brent actually, he who's here now. Um, we, we were talking about how it could be used uh, during form time, for example, in school that many schools in the u k have obviously we we have some international listeners um who may be listening back to this or, or live, but um but form time essentially is is what happens in in the morning or sometimes the afternoon in some schools uh where students gather with their form tutor or their pastoral tutor and um, so it, it's something that could fit quite nicely in that period of time. There's multiple strategies there um before I pass back to Poppy, who's got more questions, I wanted to ask briefly. Um, And I'll ask Emma first. How does how does the Happy Confident Company specifically cater to the needs of children at different stages of their education?
3: Uh, well I actually was um, involved in developing the nursery program um, if you follow me on Twitter you'll know that early years is my passion area it's where, where I feel the most happy when I'm teaching
0: and it's where and... I'd be most petrified and scared I'd be wiping <laughs> snot I'd have like a like a big sort of cross on my t-shirt and it would say no,
3: <laughs> snot <laughs> honestly Tom if you put me into a secondary school with a group of 15 year olds i think i'll probably cry so well, I, you, I like you'd need a no
0: abuse t-shirt and i would have a no yeah. to not t-shirt and we could like you know if we did an exchange we could wear those t-shirts
3: and and never the Twain chamois um i yes yeah, so i i was involved in that and what what was really important to me and what was so great about um Working with everyone because everyone was on the same page is we we have to ensure that those youngest children and I'll talk a bit more about the older children in a second um, that we're building is the foundation stage, is it? So we're building those foundation blocks and actually we start with our feelings uh, with our more basic feelings and we build on them and we we evolve them over time and over into different ear groups and across those ear groups as well, and um, so that everything. It's it's a fully-fledged curriculum. Everything is built on on what was going on before. And within that, I mean, it's it's weird to talk about it in this sense because it sounds so academic, but there are actually quite a lot of what I'd call retrieval activities within that to ensure that that learning is really embedded in the children as well. Um, But within our nursery programme, and our um, reception programme, we make sure that we we know that uh, continuous provision is paramount in the early years, so we ensure that not only do we have our very small teaching time, and it really is really small in, in nursery and reception because we know how children learn in, in those year groups, um, and that can also be done in small groups, it doesn't have to be whole class teaching. But alongside that, we have our areas and the different areas related to our different um, energy colours. And we also provide lots of different provision activities and examples. We're also aware that in nursery and reception, that those teachers are, are the most inventive of all teachers. And they will probably have lots of their own amazing ideas to go alongside that. But we make sure that we provide a really cohesive um, selection of different activities that can be put within the provision that are going to enhance and embed that that learning. When we move further further up the school, that's where we're evolving that emotion, the emotional um, learning and the psychological need. We've taken into account the psychological needs of those children as they grow. So uh, Nadine mentioned uh, the, our um, HTCV oh. HTC- HCTV, sorry that's my long COVID oh,
0: kicking in there,
3: um, program hosted by Emma withis uh, that is for our older children so that they are able to um, understand those uh, in terms of character challenges and the development of, of greater mental health um, challenges in our early secondary years. And I'll, let, I'll hand over to Nadine as well because I'm sure he's got some things to
2: say. But yeah, not much to add other than it's really so. Because Emma had mentioned before, the journals are adapted. So you've got a journal for um, year three and four. We've got a journal for year four, five, and six. Another journal for year six, seven, eight. So we've really looked at and we've and because we've worked with a lot of children. So we've literally adapted all the resources, all the activities to the the the, the right correct age group, and so. We'll start early on with feel-it time and circle, which is the equivalent of circle time. to talk about feelings and understanding feelings and emotional literacy. And then as they grow, we're adding, for example, we've got a mindfulness program and connection tools. So as they grow, we, we, involve, we include more of these. So affirmation cards, conversation cards. As, as they grow, then we, we have the journals. And then we've got, as Emma said, have the Happy Confident Me TV program. Um, and then we've got uh, more journals and more activities so it, it, and, and more embedded in the curriculum. So literally, because this is, the tools are really about making, so placing well-being at the heart of education. So although it's 10 minutes a day, ultimately, actually, what ends up happening is the whole school um, recess, they, they, you know, um, they, they play in the playground, they'll have, there's a lot of schools who actually put our fitted mappers in the loop. And when you ask secondary uh, children you know, um, or year six, the, the, a lot of the challenges happen in the loop. <laughs> and that's where it's really important actually to have a feeling mapper so children can also um, have the, the right to actually feel you know, these feelings wherever they are. And that helps them out. So, so it's literally really about embedding them in the, in the different situations and across the board uh, in, in their curriculum.
1: That's brilliant. Yeah, thank you, Nadine. That's that's so useful to hear and I think answers Tom's question really well. Um so I, I guess you. the next question that I'm sure our listeners are are dying to ask then, you've told us what your company does and what it might look like in terms of the feel cards, etc. Um I guess I'm really interested have you kind of got any real success stories maybe this is one for you Nadine but Emma feel free um, to chip in any any real success stories or maybe feedback some kind of tangible tangible feedback from schools uh, that you could share with us to really show you know how brilliant this has been and side note to add I really agree with everything both of you are saying so uh, just yeah just I would love to hear how this has been so well received by schools.
2: Thanks. I mean, we've already shared quite a lot. But so, to so in, in 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 summary, so a great example. Yesterday, I had a webinar um, with a head teacher from the um, school, and we were, he was sharing basically um, what they had um, experienced in their school. And so, apart from the examples I already shared, so generally, and it was only it had only been two months since they started the program. And so, he 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 was saying. We went on a school trip, and the children would come to me because you, he accompanied the children. Uh, year seven, year six, and year seven uh, children were telling him, "Oh, we're missing our journal." You know, they, basically, it had become so much part of their lives that the children, uh, that not expressing themselves, not having that with them, was 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 a challenge. So um, it's just to explain, obviously, part. Of it. So, but generally speaking, what all his teachers, what he said was. Even the teachers, because there's always teachers who are not going to like this and take off. We have so much on our plate. We don't want an extra thing to do. But even the ones who were basically did, did it grudgingly and not happy about it all said, you know what? We must admit this has been really amazing. And what has been amazing in summary summer, is that they, it's seeing children be able to really express themselves in a very accurate way, much more productive way and seeing their behavior change and, and, and more compassion and helping each other out when they're having difficult feelings and all of that, means that it actually reduces, as we said with the reduction in CPOMs, and it actually therefore, for the ones who are using CPOMs, but generally, basically better behavior, and therefore the teachers actually have more time to do what they do best, which is to teach and to have more time with the kids and not have the, spend their time with admin stuff or or basically dealing with behavior, and that in itself is is, is obviously a revolution. But then what, what what the head teacher was also mentioning, and I'm, I give other examples, but this it was just so so um, recent that I want to share this. He saying I we had two year eight children, two boys like rugby players quite, you know, solid in that, I would have never thought like he, that they would ever speak about their feelings or anything. They actually came to his office and they said, look, we're quite concerned by a friend of ours and his mental health. Okay. And so they called the parents, they dealt with incidents really, really, really beautifully, uh, really well. And basically things have already improved in, in just a matter of a week or two. He wow. said, I know for a fact that there's never, I would have never seen these children in my office had it not been for the program, because they would have not, and, and the way they expressed themselves and expressed the, why why they were concerned for their friend, and it wasn't even a very close friend. Mm-hmm. So all of that, so it's kind of all these, It's, it's and also, by the way, the, the surveys, that we do before and after surveys, the surveys also show obviously great progress, but in general, what's really heartwarming and, and, and really makes us you know wake up in the morning is to see these examples of children who've, um, who've just really managed to express what they had on their heart, and it completely changed their behavior. And it, and, and, and so, so actually, I, I can give you, know, you know, you get me an hour going with, with these questions. But so, another great example is, um, um, oh, well now I'm, I'm going to allude to long COVID.
0: Please, <laughs> I
2: should I just suddenly had—I I had something in my head. Be, please go ahead, Emma. I just, just yes. um,
3: I think I know what you were going to mention because we were talking about it earlier. But I'm um, sorry. First of all, sorry for passing my long COVID brain freeze over to you. Um, but there, <laughs> one of our schools is um, talking about one of their Year Four children in primary who's going through a really tough time. And he had um they set up peer mentors, so he had a year six peer mentor, which I, I think is wonderful. And got he it. started bringing
2: exactly. Bring... That's exactly yeah,
3: what I was gonna say. And he started bringing his journal with his year six mentor, and he wanted to fit it in when he was with his year six mentor because that was able. Uh, For him, that was how he was able to express himself. And by writing things down, actually, his situation and his behaviour and all of the things surrounding it, all of those things improved. And the other thing I love about this school is it's just they've embedded the programme just beautifully so that everyone across the school is using the feel it language. And down to them even having specially appointed TA ambassadors who beyond the 10 minutes a day are actually working with children with the resources uh, because they think it works so well. They want to, to do even more because it, it's helping their school so much. My favourite thing that they said was that their SATS was the calmest it had ever been around the school, which if you're a primary school teacher, you know, you understand.
1: Wow. Oh my gosh. Okay, so can, can I just say, when I ask the question, have you got any uh, positive feedback? I think Nadim and Emma, you should have just said, yeah, literally everyone we've ever worked with. <laughs>
2: <Everybody> <laughs> actually, thanks. You're right. Exactly. You're right, actually. Thanks, Poppy. Exactly everyone. Right.
1: We just put everyone for that answer. Okay. <laughs> um, but you know what? I, I know at the start, Tom was joking that I'm, I'm always very positive. I'm going to go in now. I apologize in advance. I'm going to mention rather contentious issue i'm gonna bring in the o word uh Ofsted. and I, I didn't i didn't want to okay. say it but i've said it uh Ofsted because this all sounds great what you're doing um but we know offset is something in most of our mainstream schools so i'm just wondered really there you know it's great we're all so happy and positive offset something we don't always find such happy and positive thing what is I guess there's one for you, probably, Nadine. What is your view on Ofsted in schools?
2: Um, I'll, actually, I was going to say it's one for Emma, but I'll, I'll quickly, <laughs> I'll give you um, a brief... Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll start briefly, because it, it, it's, it's obviously, as you said, it's a contentious issue, and there, there's been a lot of that. Um, but so I was at the Times Education Summit um, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we were talking about this, and they, they had these, all these key recommendations for Ofsted and the changes. And in summary, what, what really is so important is to go from um, the box-ticking exercise to really feel support. All the children, all the all the, sorry, the teachers and head teachers, what they want is actually really feel supported. And it's, it's only getting worse. That's why, obviously, so many teachers are leaving the profession and all, and it's so sad. And that's only reinforced by the attitude uh, of box ticking exercise and, and not actually focusing enough on well-being of staff, well-being of, of children and um, just creating a better environment. So, but it's like what we're creating for children, in my opinion, what Ofsted needs to create is this support system so that all the staff and all the schools feel supported rather than that they're dreading the next time they come. It's a simple, I mean it seems so simple, but that's what has to be done as soon as possible And and well-being has to be become at the center not just for the pupils which obviously they could really help with that but also for the staff and not having that 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 basically living out of fear of when they're next going to come but instead feeling oh when they come actually they may help us with this and that and not being failed for one paper missing or that these incredible stories that we hear and that don't actually make much sense for the future of our nation of education and yeah. our nation yeah so, Emma, sorry, I'm, I'm just go for it. <laughs> no, no, uh, don't. Think
3: so. I'm glad you answered first, to be honest. <laughs> um, I mean, from a personal perspective, I the last school that I worked at before I left teaching uh, was a wonderful, wonderful school, and our head teacher genuinely placed staff wellbeing at the heart of everything. I couldn't have worked. Wow, at a school, I love that, Emma. so, just... <laughs> That's so refreshing. Well, wow, I, I I love it, and she was amazing, but even she, even my the map that I was working for, you're still constricted by offset, so even though our school was amazing, our children were happy, they were learning, they were embedding their learning, um, ev- everything was going so well for us, I still remember as a subject leader and a phase leader, the immense pressure i felt to gather my paperwork to make sure i knew things that i had checked like my notes in case ofsted came in so i wouldn't be caught out i would be on the facebook group seeing what people said offset had asked them if my friends had offset i'd say what what happened give me a rundown i'd be reading ofsted reports and that was in an environment where actually i think my well-being was the best it's ever been and I can't imagine what it must be like for schools that maybe um, have had a prior required improvement and, and a dreading offset coming or feel like they really have to justify themselves or haven't had great results for whatever reason. And I think when you when you put that together with the absolutely tragic deaths of Ruth Perry and Cameron Woodward to, back in 2015, 2015, by the way, something horrible happened, still nothing changed. And you put that, I just think something really has to change. And yes, we do. We completely I understand as a company and for me personally, as a human, that offset really should be involved in the safeguarding. I think nothing is more important. The safeguarding of our, our young people is, is just paramount. But actually, like Nadine said, it should be about working with the school. It shouldn't be about penalising the school or or even judging the school in that way. And I'm surprised that Tom's been so quiet, actually, (laughs) throughout this whole thing. I really thought Tom would have something to say.
0: Well, Well, I I mean, I think my views on it all are are pretty well documented. I don't think I really need to say anything. Um, Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I I don't really need to say anything. Um, (laughs) I agree with everything you said. Um, I wanted to ask, you know, I wanted to ask a little bit about... Because we sort of we've talked a lot about pupil mental health and pupil well being. One of the things that many people say out there is our child. You know, there is that argument that I've seen, which is our children are, in inverted commas, snowflakes, and you know they're less resilient now, and you know they're not as able to deal with life's challenges. Um, so I'm wondering whether a uh, and I'll ask Nadine first, this A, whether there is any truth in that or and B, how does the Happy Confident Company support students when it comes to uh, their their resilience and so, building their resilience? Yeah,
2: it is, it's something, it's, it's indeed something that comes back quite often is, oh, you know, we were so much tougher and so we need to toughen up children. And so the thing is, education has changed a lot. And therefore, it's about adapting to where we are. And um, there, you know, I, in some cases, i I can agree that mm-hmm. um, helicopter parenting. I mean, I was, I'm you know, I'm a parenting expert. I've written a lot, and researched a lot that subject. So yes, there are things out there that are not ideal for, for children, mm-hmm. and and there, there is a bit of, and, and I wouldn't call this resilience per se, but it's really that children being overparented or being over, mm. you know, there, there, so there is, there can be over, over-protected, uh, like. overprotected, yes, is, is really uh, one of the challenges that, that we are seeing. Basically the parents are getting involved in so many things and everything, which actually doesn't help with, with children's resilience, responsibility taking, or children's even anxiety, because then this, this um, over, you know, um, basically perfectionism that I mentioned at the beginning, is something that's also being generated with parents. It's just this, you know, it's even parents getting involved in the homework and just having to, feeling that they have to give back the best homework, it's not helpful because mm-hmm. then, because it's, it's kind of, even homework become competitive. It doesn't make any sense when they've got projects at home and things like that. And that's particularly more, um, happens more in independent schools. But anyway, so, so I do have, I mean, I, I agree with some of the people who say like, wow, there's something that needs to be changed because, but, there's a big but. And is that that's also people who just basically often will have said, oh yeah, yeah, it's much better to basically suppress the feeling, and so Mm -hmm. you're you're kind of uh, yeah, you just get on with it, and you yeah, basically the boys don't cry the whole, and that is now proving to be a really bad uh, way of dealing with things because actually what what science proving now is that when you suppress a feeling, you're actually your brain is still busy suppressing it therefore you lose some of your cognitive ability uh, and it always comes back to bite you at some point so even now a lot of older people i don't know if you're aware but basically 80 year olds are actually now going to therapy think people who would have never thought about going to therapy because there's actually kind of realizing that oh we well, now we live until 1900 so, so and i'm not happy at the end of my life so there's a lot more realization that this kind of the, the old resilience is not actually that useful. <laughs> now, mm. we do want to develop resilience. Absolutely. And that's the whole point of, I mentioned the uh, Happy Company Me TV program earlier. And, and the, the sixth power, we call them the 10 powers, is the power of resilience. But before talking about resilience, and that's the point, is actually the whole program, the 10 episodes, build on each other before talking about resilience, which is basically what we want to teach children. When I, met, you know, when I first met with Linda Papadopoulos, who's my co-author, who's my, a lot of people may know her because she's a celebrity psychologist. And so when I met with her first, I said, okay, let's agree on what is going to be our key objective for, that, for the book, The Lifestyle Journal, The Happy Company Lifestyle Journal. And we agreed that it was actually we want to create a toolbox. We want to create a mindset where every child feel that they can take on any life challenge, that actually they have the toolbox to recover from life challenges. But in order to to get to this, to this resilience, there's actually all the rest that has to be built first. And the rest is, I'm talking about becoming detective of your thoughts, being detective of your feelings, find, have tools to self-regulate these thoughts and feelings, and basically to become more emotionally resilient And then to learn about your brain and about the fact that you've got neuroplasticity, so basically that you've obviously the whole growth mindset theory that most people know, and the fact that basically if you you build new neural pathways and therefore you can be good at anything, you put energy and effort into through practice. And then we, before the power of resilience, comes the power of failure, which is teaching children that actually failure is okay, that the most successful people have failed more more than average because they took risks. And then, But they manage to recover from these and they learn from their mistakes. And then finally comes the power of resilience. And then what we teach them is actually it's, they have to fail quite often to learn and learn to bounce back to develop further this resilience. So you see, it's, a, it, it's important that we, we, we don't take resilience out of context. It's something that requires actually to be vulnerable, to feel the feelings, to understand that we can go through challenging times, but to have the tools to recover from this and this is what the whole program is about is what how can i pick myself up when i'm really going through a tough time so we are developing resilience but in a slightly different well quite a different way than what what was called resilience in the time you know in the old times which was come on pick yourself up and don't even feel or think it's you going to be okay i mean the story of my life i mentioned earlier i was happy and confident was because i was always told oh come on you have no reason to not feel happy and confident because you, you're so lucky Compared to other, and it's true. I, I mean, I've, I, been, it, I've been very lucky, I, but it I does not
0: help. <laughs> I was born with ginger hair, so there was a perfect reason why, you know, that I wouldn't feel that. Um, but I think this is the perfect segue in, actually. Emma, I wanted to ask you because what Nadim's sort of talking about there is being kind to yourself. Um, yeah. And I wondered how sort of the, the happy, confident program and, and sort of approach, let's call it that. Um, can also help with that
3: well after
0: Nadine's just said that also beautifully
3: I don't I don't feel like I've got that much more to add but what I will say is that it's it's actually it's the one of the things that Nadine was saying about fostering failure that actually it's okay to make mistakes and that's the, that's what I think we need to get through to children a lot. I dealt with a lot of perfectionism when I was teaching, and wanting stuff to be perfect. And that's just in a work sense. That's that's beyond the wider context of just life. And actually, being kind to yourself during tough times is the best thing you can do. And I, I don't I don't want to sound glib, but being kind to each other it would make the world a better place. And I know that sounds so simplistic, but ultimately that that is that is what we want. And that's how we're going to become more happy as well. And um, and also we have to remember that kindness it cultivates those healthy relationships and it fosters that positive positive school environment.
0: I think Poppy potentially has the two I more
1: do. questions. I've got the final two. <laughs> I can't believe I'm I'm having such a great time listening in. I can't believe we've already been going nearly an hour and a half, but uh, let's, let's try and squeeze in the last two Tom. I've got two more. Um, And I think this is a really important one. And it actually comes off the back of what you're saying there, Emma, around kindness to ourselves, because I know we've mostly spoken about pupil wellbeing here, but what I'm really interested, like what role does our teacher wellbeing play um, in this successful learning environment? And, how can your products with the Happy Confident Company really help promote teacher well being as well? I don't know whether Nadim, do you want to answer that one first or Emma? Any takers?
2: Well, Emma, go for it. I mean, yeah.
1: thanks, thanks, Lizzie. Um,
3: I, I was like, I said, I've been teaching for nearly 10 years, and I think I can say firsthand that work well, teacher wellbeing is just everything if, if teachers don't have that sense of well-being or aren't being looked after in the workforce or, or feel valued, they're not going to stay or, or they're not going to be happy. Neither are good things. And beyond that, we are all human beings. So we all deserve to have a work a work environment where we feel valued and respected and happy and safe. Everyone, no matter what you're doing. And if we don't have those things, thinking about teachers, we teachers' emotions, we don't want that to then impact the emotional climate of the classroom and we don't want teachers to go through those feelings and feel that way in the first place because actually a teacher that is doing well mentally and and in any capacity really they're going to be more able to foster a positive nurturing environment that's going to enhance that learning now that's not to say that if you are going through different things that you can't do that absolutely not i i went through teaching during the death of my dad and I think I was still a really good teacher it was it was just hard and not very nice and um, if we're looking at teacher turnover as well we have over 40,000 departures in the in the last year that's eight over nine nine percent of the sector which is is just madness and I think the dean's going to talk a bit more about how um, well, hopefully we'll talk a bit more about how our program can can help with that teacher wellbeing. But I think it's really important to paint the picture because it's there's there's things going on at the moment. It's getting really, really critical. And we will end up having not enough, well we already don't, but nowhere near enough teachers to teach our children. And then our children are not going to get a very good education if there's 50
2: children in a classroom.
1: So I'll hand over to Nadine. Thanks, now. Emma.
2: Yeah, I mean Overall, but I mean, I came into the sector which I, I wasn't an educator initially, and what I realized, why I'm feel so good, is because they're all givers. There's it's full of givers. <laughs> the problem with givers is that we put our needs after other people's needs, <laughs> and and that's exactly what you know Emma was explaining is often. So, won't you know, we don't express our needs so much, and therefore we we, we always think, oh no, but let's do this, you know, for others, and obviously, so as teachers. For the pupils first of all and then the parents and then the, i mean always trying to you know get others and, and prioritize others before our and our own health and that's that can be a real challenge as as we, as we you know we all realize and therefore it's really important to not only raise this awareness and that's what we're trying to do so for example we do regular webinars you know cpd webinars to actually. Um, teach um, about you know um, strategies to um, for better mental health. We're now developing, so all of our programs are offered through a well-being hub. And within this hub, now we're creating a section for teachers' well-being. Um, so that's one of the assets because we do, we are convinced and we believe that without teachers having a good well-being and feeling good about themselves and about what they're doing, they, they can't actually be at the maximum capacity to teach. Although a lot of them are managing uh, it's not about managing anymore because over time it's it's just too much stretching. It's uh, so it's really important to prioritize this, and that's why I was mentioning with Ofsted. I think there's can be the government can do mo- so much more on prioritizing you know, teachers' well-being, and that is to create a really very supportive environment for teachers. And so that's what we're trying to achieve through the through the programs. And you know, it's ultimately it is a completely holistic approach it is a, a what i call a systemic change and the system is the parents obviously being less critical actually and so for example that's why also we teach parents so there's a well-being hub for the families as well where they get access to the resources they understand what's being developed at school so about feelings as well about the 10 powers as we that we that we that i mentioned and they learn how to apply the the, the 10 powers at home as well so that in itself, actually also help teachers. Mm-hmm. So it's this, this systemic approach where everyone's really learning to, to be more compassionate, kinder, mm-hmm. and to be able to express themselves. And therefore, um, the whole thing improves as a system. And therefore, teachers have more time to teach, as we said, reduce intervention, etc. They feel more comfortable, more confident, and um, start prioritizing themselves a bit more because we give them also advice um, mm-hmm. through webinars as well as in the, the, in the hub of, of how they can, uh, you know, deal better with all these. So it's effective tools to deal better with, with, with would it be challenging behavior or just taking care of themselves uh, more and being able to. So, so actually, I want to mention one last thing. I always remember five years ago, first time I actually ever I developed a program with a teacher and therapist and I went into school. So although I wasn't an educator, I said, you know, I have to, to see firsthand if it works, and I and I had a problem of I was supposed to be in the in, in a in a specific room, and they said, "Oh, unfortunately, the room is taken by another uh, class, and therefore you have to go in the computer room." And I end up with three teachers there who were actually doing admin stuff, and they were really annoyed that I was doing the program in at the same time they were working, and so they went to complain to the head teacher, and so. I still did the program because I didn't have a choice. And then I was quoted by the head teachers. And so um, the head teacher said, actually you know what? The teachers went to complain, they came back and they said, but we need to also learn this stuff. <laughs> and so and it was so so essentially what this is, is although we're teaching children about emotional literacy, about the growth mindset, about all, all of these talent powers. What the teachers tell us consistently is, oh, wow, actually, I can do with that too. This program is also for me. And that's where I give them the answer. Actually, this program was developed based on the most advanced personal development um, you know, techniques and, and science of the last 30 years. And it is although it is adapted to kids in its, in its form, it's actually something that we all need mm-hmm. to go through. Ideally, we all need that because we all need to understand you know, how to be detective of our thoughts and our feelings and how to develop what we call this core intelligence, which is basically this uh, ability to better understand ourselves so we can better relate with ourselves and then better relate with others. And that's what we do as teachers, what we do as children, what we do as as parents, what we do so it's the whole system mm-hmm. that actually needs more of this.
1: So true. Oh my goodness. So true. And I think that little anecdote you shared there, Nadim, about the, the teachers realizing they needed it, it's it's that you know, classic thing, put on your own oxygen mask first, then help others. Because I think, as Emma's rightly saying, we're at a bit of a crisis point in education at the moment, but teachers forget how powerful they are. And I think sometimes we feel like that power and that autonomy and that professionalism is is taken away, you know, by the boundaries we have in teaching. But I think, you know, something like this reminds us, you, you know, your company reminds us, the power we have is inside us. And, and we owe it to ourselves, don't we, to focus on our well-being as well. Fantastic. Um, and and so I think the theme just brings me to the final question, which um, I, I think I'll, I'll send to you. For so any educators or schools listening who are interested in your program, how can they get involved? And just I'm, I'm aware we're very near the end of the session, but what sort of support can they expect from the Happy Confident Company?
2: Oh yeah, I'll, I'll keep it short. So we have a modular approach. So um, for example, we, we we really, although all our tools work for every child, we also cater for more specific needs of, you know, if a school tells us this is the kind of challenges I have, you know, but for, typically for behavior, then we'll recommend, you know, the module that works. So the four pillars effectively are the Feel It program with emotional literacy and social emotional learning. There is the Journaling program, which is gratitude and reflection, and we mentioned the journals. There's uh, the, the life skills um, so program, which is uh, the journals as well as Happy Company TV that I also mentioned. And finally, there's the connection tool, which is basically mindfulness. Um, we've got audio meditations that are very powerful, only five minutes, and they bring kids back to learning. You know, to, to their best learning zone. We've got conversation cards, affirmations cards to start the day positively. So. It's a whole set of things, but essentially we adapt it to um, the school's need, and um, we keep it very reasonable because we want to every school to have be able to access this. So we've got funded programs for state schools that allow them to get this, you know, quite quite cheap. And we're talking from one pound per pupil for for, for the Felix program, so really wow. really very reasonable. So like we're talking thirty pound a class to get a whole set of you know incredible resources, mm-hmm. all delivered through the Wellbeing Hub. And, and, and so, and the journals are 50% off for the schools, so, so really keeping it, um, you know, and, and so the best way to access this is to inquire through either going on our website, www.happyconfident.com, or um, clicking on our Twitter handle and they'll have more information, or also um, just email schools at happyconfident.com. Um, and we'll, we offer a lot of free resources, as I mentioned, mm-hmm. some free webinars as well. Um, so it's not, you know, and, and we, we, we're, we offer best practices, of, for example, of uh, peer mentoring programs. Uh, so there's a lot and just get in touch. And uh, we'll, there's a school actually great for end of year. If anyone's interested, we've got a school happiness challenge, which is an amazing way to actually look at to, to use some of the tools completely free mm. and it's a whole week of activities uh, that um, teachers love uh, to finish um, the year with wow well so don't hesitate to contact us and we'll give you uh, the, you know. i mean comments, I, I,
1: um, I know most teachers you know. that i know love happiness and love challenges so let's go <laughs> school's happiness <laughs> challenge so thank you everyone listening give them a follow happy confidence see Follow, have a look on their website and get in touch with them if you're interested. Thank you so much, Nadine. I'm going, going to hand back to Tom now for the final 60 seconds, I think.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, thank you. Uh, massive thanks to Emma and Nadine for tonight. A huge thanks to everybody who's listened along live. Uh, many people have. Um, thank you to, to those people who are here now, uh, the likes of Shannon and Ian and Seely, Jaleen, Miss D, uh, Miss Prosser, Matthew, Uh, We've also got uh, Emma, uh, Kulsuma, and AJ. Uh, So, thanks very much to every single person. Oh, and Jonathan as well, sneaking in there. Nathan, uh, Lucy, and Kasamo. So, yeah, uh, massive thanks to to everyone who is here now and to everyone who has dropped in tonight. Uh, This will be available as a podcast uh, on the Teachers Talk Radio website. That's Um, ttradio.org. either be available tonight or tomorrow um, for you to listen back to and share with anybody else who you think uh, may find the Happy Confident company's programs and, and the other issues that we discussed tonight um, of interest. So look out for that. You can follow it on any podcast platform, so Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, any of those to to listen to this. Um, we will also leave uh, the uh, links, the relevant links, so anything you've missed today, Uh, will be in the description for that show and also look out for the blog as well over the weekend which will follow this show and contain even more information and examples uh, from the Happy Confident Company of what they do. Uh, Massive thanks to Seema for being the admin as well tonight um, behind the scenes Uh, and for everyone from TTR. It is good night.
2: Thank you very much, Tom. Thank you, Poppy. Thank you. Pleasure to
1: speak with you. <laughs> Good night, everyone.
2: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You, You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.